Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project episode 11. Today we are doing our final reading out of The Colors of Magic edited by Jess LeBeau. However, I want to give a quick shout out first to Coach at the Card Bazaar YouTube for the idea and inspiration. Check the comments for links to his audiobooks for the first three novels. Full disclosure, I had a speech penitent earlier in life which I've tried my best to overcome. I also apologize if you find my voice nasally or otherwise dislike it. I'm trying my best to provide you with the best content I'm able to provide. However, this being said, I'd love to hear constructive feedback which connects pronunciation issues or provides other realistic feedback that could improve the project. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content apology. Listener discretion is advised. Our story today is The Gold Border, in, in brackets, Lauren's Smile, by Jeff Grubb. Lauren died ten years after the devastation, after Urza and Mishra destroyed most of the world with their war, after a tumultuous explosion that eliminated Argoth and altered the rest of the world forever. Lauren died in part because of that devastation. She did not die in battle, for she was not a warrior nor did she die in a duel of magical forces. For though her lover, Felden, had mastered the study of magic, she found she could not. She did not die of intrigue, or of passion, or of some fatal flaw. She died in bed, weakened by wounds suffered over a decade previous. Wounds inflicted by Ashnod the uncaring, Mishra's assistant. She was weakened by the lengthening winters and the cold mountain air. Weakened by her own great age, weakened and eventually defeated by the world that the brothers Urza and Mishra had created. At first, she just winded easily when in the garden or cooking, and Felden would put aside his own work to help. Then she had trouble working in the garden at all, and Felden did the best he could under her direction to substitute for her. Later, she could not work around the house, and Felden brought in servants from nearby towns to aid. When she could not get out of bed, Felden sat beside her and read to her stories of his own youth and listened to hers. After a time, he had to feed her as well. At length, she died in bed, in her sleep. Feldon sitting beside her, asleep as well from his long guardianship. When he awoke, her flesh was cold and pale, and the breath had long since left her body. He commanded the servants to dig a grave behind the house, among the now weed-choked garden that Lauren had begun with Felden's grudging, grumbling, and aid shortly after they first arrived. She had kept it going through several seasons by sheer force of will, but when she took ill that last final time, she had to surrender the garden to the weeds and the cold rains. It was raining when they laid her the rest, wrapped in her bedsheets and sealed within a coffin of thick oak planks. Felden and the servants uttered a few prayers, then the old mage watched as the servants methodically piled the dirt atop the lid. Felden's tears were lost in the rain. For days afterward, Felden stayed by the fire, and the servants brought him his meals, much as they had Lauren hers. Felden's library and workshop stood empty for the nonce, the books closed, the forges cold, the various regents and solutions sitting quietly in their gas jars. She, he stared into the fire and sighed. Feldrin remembered 
the touch of Lauren's hand, the Argivian lifts to her voice and her thick, dark hair. Most of all, he remembered the smile that she gave. It was slightly sad, slightly knowing smile. It was a soft smile, and it waned when never felt and saw it. Now Felden was a practitioner of the third path, the way that neither was neither Urzra nor Mishra, charting a new course between the two warring brothers and their technological miracles. He could pull from his mind great magics, fueled by the memories of his mountain home, and work wonders with them. He could cause fire to appear, or land itself to shift, or summon the strokes of a lightning storm, and bend them to his will. Yet he could not hear Lauren's body or dying spirit. He could not keep the life within her. His magic had failed him, had failed his love. The old man sighed and raised a hand towards the fire. He unlocked a part of his brain that held the memories of the mountain around them. He pulled the energies from those lands as he learned to do in Teresia City with Drafna, Hercule, the Archimantrite, and the other mages of the Ivory Tower. He concentrated in the flames rise as they rose from the logs, twisting upon themselves until they finally formed a soft smile. Lauren's smile is the most he could do. For five days and five nights, Felden sat by the fire, and for a brief time the servants wondered if they would soon have to tend the master, as they did for the mistress. Indeed, Felden was never fully healthy himself, overweight and walking only with the aid of a silver cane he had rescued from the heart of a great glacier. His dark beard was now streaked with silver, and the corner of his eyes drooped from grief and age. The surgeons wondered if he would ever rise from the fireside again. On the sixth day, Felden retreated from the hearth to his workshop. Soon afterwards, a small note appeared for the servants, a list of items that they were to procure as soon as possible. The list called for thin sheets of copper, iron rivets, cords made from various spun metals, brass gears if they could get them, steel otherwise, glass blown into a variety of shapes with illustrations and dimensions. There's a letter to be delivered to a place far south and west. For the next two months, the workshop clattered. Fildon brought the forge to life, and the small angel anvil rang with ear-spitting blows. Fire was within the domain of mountain magics, and Fildon was its master. He had caused it to heat a precise location with the exact amount of heat, needed merely by ordering it to do so. Such was the nature of the old mage's magic. The wire arrived in the gears, iron, not brass, sheets of copper and some of bronze. The glass was substandard, and Felden had to resort to teaching himself how to blow it to form the shapes he needed. More wire arrived. This new amount spun from horse hair to form thick, long cords like braids of human hair. At the end of the two months, Felden looked at his work and shook his heads. The joints were stiff, and the arms jutted in the wrong direction. The head was too large, and the hair looked like what it was, a collection of wire and horsehair. The eyes were little more than badly crafted glass spheres. It was too tall at the shoulders and too large at the hips. The creation looked nothing like Lauren. Only around, a only around the mouth, where there was a ghost of a smile, came the hint of a memory. Felden shook his head, and thick tears gathered the corner of his eyes. He took a sledge and knocked it on, on to pieces, and he began again. He pored over Lauren's journal in the library. She had studied Urza with himself, 
and knew something of artifice. He restrung the wires and ligatures throughout the arms and legs, building first miniature models, then full-fledged mock-ups before proceeding to the final version. He worked in animal bone and wood, as well as metal and stone. His glasswork, glasswork became better, so he could provide a glass eye for an old woman in the village that matched her good one. Slowly, he built a tauntaun in the shape of Lauren, sculpting her out of a barrage of materials. After six months, she was finished. The statue missed only the heart. Feldon waited patiently for that organ to appear. He spent his days in the workshop polishing, testing, and rebuilding the tauntaun. When he first met Lauren, she had use of both arms. Later, she lost use of one, crippled by Ashnod. He went back and forth, removing and replacing the arm. Finally, he restored the statue to its complete state. A month later, a package arrived from a place far to the south and west, from a scholar whom Lauren and Feldham had known when they were at Teresia City at the Ivory Towers. The package contained a small chip of crystal, glowing softly, a power stone, the heart of artifice. There are fewer and fewer stones of this type, in the years since its devastation, but this was one. The package contained his note as well. Signed by Drafna, master of the school of Latlam, it said simply, I understand. Felden held the power stone and noticed that his fingers were trembling. Cradling the crystal in both hands, he went to the tom-ton, standing guard in the center of the workshop. He had placed the bracket for the crystal where the heart would be in a living woman. Selden set the crystal within its framework and closed the compartment door. He reached behind the tom-ton's left ear and touched a small sw- switch. The tom-ton jerked to life like a puppet whose strings had suddenly been pulled. Its head shook then cocked slightly one side then the other. One leg tense and the other relaxed. One shoulder dipped slightly. Felden nodded and raised a hand, pointed to the far side of the room. The tauntaun in the shape of Lauren walked gingerly, like a woman finding her land legs after a long sea voyage. But by the time she had reached the end of the workshop, she was walking normally. She reached the opposite side and turned and walked back. She smiled, hidden whiles rippling the lips over her ivory teeth. The smile was perfect. Felden smiled back, the first time he had truly smiled since Lauren had left him. Every day, the tom-ton stood patiently in his workshop. He talked to it, but had to point to command it. For the first month, it was enough. But it was silent, save for the high-pitched whirring of gears and wire spooling and unspooling. At first, Felden thought he could live with it, but after the first month, it became an irritant. After the second, it was insufferable. The silence, its metallic lips crafted into that perfect smile, was more than he could bear. It seemed to mock him. To taunt him. He asked the questions and reprimanded from himself, for he knew it could not answer. The lord he had built was a creature of copper skin and geared muscle. It was not the woman he had loved. At last, he reached behind her ear and touched a small toggle, deactivating her. She stiffened as the power left her, through the smile remained on her lips. He removed the power stone from her heart, set the stone on the shelf, and placed the inactive autonton in the garden sitting guard over Loran's grave. Within a week, the steel gears had rested solid, locking it forever in its stats. The crystal, the glass eye seeing not only the recording the world around it. In the week that followed, Felden returned to the far side, staring into the flickering flames as if they held some secret. At the end of the week, under cold rain, he departed, 
leaving his servants to keep up the house in his absence. He left the town in a small wagon, heading eastward into the lands most affected by the devastation of the Brothers' War. As he traveled, he asked questions. Did anybody know of mages, of spellcasters, of individuals with wondrous magic? Before the destruction of the Ivory Tower, there had been many who had explored the path's magic, but they had been scattered when Teresia's city had fallen. Surely some had survived somewhere. He asked merchants and medicants, farmers and priests. Some looked at him if, his, if he were mad, and some were frightened, terrified they were seeking to bring back the powers that created devastation in the first place. But enough understood what he was looking for, and those a few knew of his wise man, or that shaman who walked the third path. In time, he heard of a hedge wizard, and he turned his wagon to the east. He found the hedge wizard near the wreckage that would have been Serenith, one of the great cities that had resisted Mishra and was destroyed for its sin. Most of the great forests in that land had been later lumbered and its mountains stripped to feed the war machines of the Brothers' War. Now it was a barren landscape, its soil runnelled and ravined by eternal rain. But forests that survived were overrun by tangles of briars and young trees. In one of those briar-choked shambles, Felden found a hermit. The man had defended his patch of ground from Misha's army, and the strain had nearly broken both his mind and his spirit. He was a hunched figure, bent nearly double with age, with a drooling grin and a cackling laugh. Felden approached with one open hands, showing he was weaponless. The hermit had heard of the council mages at Teresa City, and had known of Felden's name among them. He laughed and capered and allowed Felden to come within his forest to study the hermit's magics. Felden offered to teach the hermit his own spells in return, but the hunched madman would have nothing to do with the mountains or their power. Instead, he taught Felden of the woods, and they crossed and recrossed his small domain, which he had held so liber laboriously against the defenders. Invaders, rather. Over the course of the next month, Felden felt he knew the land as well as the old hermit. They spoke of many things, of plants, of trees, and of the seasons. The hermit felt the world was getting colder beyond his borders, and Felden agreed. It seemed to him the glaciers of his home were swelling slightly with every passing year. Finally, they spoke of magic. Felden showed his power, summoning images from the flames of birds, mythical dragons, and finally, a simple knowing smile. When Felden had finished, the, the hermit cackled and nodded. The madman stood, arms folded in front of him. Felden started to say something, but the hermit held out a hand to quiet him. For a moment, there was silence in the forest. Then there was a noise, or rather a sensation, a rumbling that pounded through the ground and into Felden's bones. The ground quaked beneath his feet and the campfire collapsed on itself from the shuddering ground. Felden cried out despite himself, but the hermit did not move. Then the worm appeared. It was a great and ancient creature, as large as one of Mitra's dragon engines of old. The scared were, scales were golden and green. It had baleful red eyes that glimmered in the dark. It loomed above them in an instant and was gone. A wall of scales surged past them, the worm's elongated body hurling before them. After a long time, the worm's whip-like tail spun out, smashing the trees like a lion pulled away from a runaway wagon. The ground stopped shaking. The old hermit turned and bowed deeply. 
Feldon returned the bow and understood how the ancient maid had kept his patch of forest for all these years. Carefully, Feldon outlined his problem. He had lost someone dear to him, and his old magic lacks the power to restore him. Did the power of the hermit hold more? The old hermit rocked back on his heels and grinned. Is this one who is dear still alive? he asked. Feldon shook his head, and the hermit grin faded. He too shook his head. I can only summon living. That is the power of the growing briar. Perhaps I can send you to someone who might have the power you seek. Feldon left the hermit's forest the next day, heading north. Ronalm Lake bordered the lands of Serenath, and the lake had fared as badly as the land. Where once there was an expanse of white beaches, now only leprous grey moss flourished, and the lake itself was little more than the wild expanses of stagnant, oily water, broken by pungent algae blooms in greasy shades of green and red. Feldon guided his small wagon along the perimeter of the lake. The hermit said he would recognize the sign when he reached the domain of the sorceress who ruled part of the shore. Indeed he did. The grey moss began to fade, and at last retreated fully, leaving only a cascade of white sand as pure as any Feldon had any seen. It was broken at the shore by a thin line of round black stones, themselves smoothed by the rolling surf. Feldon took a breath and smelled the fresh spray, without a tinge of musty fog. He found her at the foot of the crystalline waterfall, in a small pavilion that seemed to be spun from golden threads. She was taller than he, dressed in a shivering robe that looked like a translucent rainbow. She granted him an audience, as muscular servants brought a simple meal of cheese and dried apples. The provender seemed insufficient for such opulent surroundings, but Feldon said nothing and accepted the sorceress's hospitality. She asked him his quest, and he told her. He sought to regain a love that had been lost. She nodded, and a smart, a tight smile appeared on her face. Such matter have a price, she said. Felden bowed his head and asked her to name the price. Story, she said. You must tell me the stories of Loran, so I may better bet grant your wish. Slowly, Felden began to tell the tale. He, reca he recounted what he knew of Lorden from her own tales and her journals, of her life in the Far East, in the distant lands of Argive, of her early life with the brothers, and how she eventually rejected their war to seek another path. She spoke of how she came to Teresia City and joined a band of scholars looking for the path, that path that included Feldon. He stumbled a few times, but the sorcerer said nothing. He told of how the two met, how they studied together, and how they had fallen in love. He explained how they had separated when Misha attacked their city, and what had happened to Lauren at Ashnod's hands. She seemed to heal slowly in their time together before sprawling downwards into an eventual death. As he spoke, he, haunted fewer, he halted fewer times, and his mind was alive with her memory. He recalled her black hair, her lithe figure, her touch, her smile, always that knowing smile. He spoke of how she had died and what he had done afterward. He recounted his construction of Atonaton and his trips to the hermit, and now his visit to her. As he spoke, he forgot the sorceress was there. Lauren was alive for him. 
Alas, he came to the end of the tale and looked at the enchantress. Her face was impassive, but a single tear trickled down her cheek. I rule in the sea and the sky, she said, much as you rule in the mountains, and the hermit, the growing vegetation. You have paid my price with the story. Now let me see what I can do. She shut her eyes for a moment. It seemed that outside the golden pavilion the sun passed behind a cloud. Then it brightened again, and Lauren stood before Feldon. She was young again, and whole. Her black hair shimmered like a dark waterfall. She smiled that knowing smile, secretive smile she always had for him. Feldon rose and reached out to embrace her. His hand passed through her like smoke. The relief in his heart was replaced with fire, and he turned toward the sorceress. She had risen from her divan now and held her hands up as if to ward off a blow. She isn't real, cried Felda and spit out the words. I rule in the blue, said the sorceress, and blue is the stuff of air and water, of mind and imagination. I cannot bring back what is gone, only creates image. If you want her truly back, you must seek another. Who is this other? asked Feldon, and the sorceress hesitated. Again, Feldon asked, Who is this other? The sorceress looked at him with cold, crystalline eyes. There is a swamp further north. He who lives there rules in the black. He can bring back what you seek, but we warned. And her voice softened. His price is higher than mine. Another tear appeared on the sorceress's cheek. Felden bowed and the enchantress offered him her hand, which the old man kissed. While the sorceress's flesh appeared young and supple, to Felden's lips it felt leathery and ancient. He reboarded his wagon and continued. A short distance beyond the golden pavilion he dismounted on a pristine white beach and felt the ground. It looked like pure white sand, but felt like rocks covered with grey moss. Felvin gave an understanding groat, grunt and set out for the swamp. Here, along the northern borders of the Rodam Lake, there had been a village. But the land of the village had settled, or the lake had risen, so that it was nothing more than a collection of buildings rotting in a ruined swamp. Great dark birds hovered through the arc-rooted arc trees. No, Felvin corrected himself. Bats! They were bats! which no longer feared a light in this land of internal gloom. The village had a rough, rotting palisade, little more than a collection of sharpened logs driven into the muck. The guards at the gates were sallow, hollow-eyed men, dressed in tattered armor. They threatened Feldon with capture, but he summoned fires in a great wall between them, him and them. After the guards stepped back from the flames, and after a quick consultation with the other, they chose to escort fell on to their master. Their master was an aged spider of a man who received his visitors on a throne card from a gigantic skull. Felda thought briefly of the great worm that the green hermit had summoned and wondered if the fleshless skull before him was of the same type. The ruler of the swamp was short, pot-bellied and bald, and slouched in a corner of the throne as Feldon explained his quest. He had lost someone dear, said Feldon and was told that the master could find a way to return her. The man gave a watery, choking laugh. I am the bastard of bread black magics, Redling, he said. I know the powers of life and death. Are you willing to pay my price? And your price is, asked Felden. The master stroked his hairless chin. I want your walking stick. 
Felder gripped his silver cane tightly. I cannot part with it. I pulled it from a glacier many years ago. It is like part of me. Ah, said the master, and your love is such a pale, insubstantial thing that you cannot part with a hunk of metal for it. Felder looked at the twisted spider of the man, then his wound-carved cane. He held, he held it out. Your price is met. Excellent, hissed the master of the swamp, taking the cane. Let us begin. For three days and three nights, Felden studied at the feet of the master. He memorized the marshes around the village and felt the thick, viscous pull of the land in his mind. It was very different from the cold, clear mountains that he normally used. It left him feeling soiled and unclean. At the end of the third day, the hollow-eyed guards escorted Felden to a small, windowless hut at the edge of the village, just within the walls of the palisade. Here... Felden worked the spell that the master of the swamp gave him. In the light of a single towel candle, Felden cleared his mind and meditated. Normally, he would think of the mountains, but now he thought of the bogs around him. He felt their watery pull, sucking him down, embracing him with their power. He spoke the words of spellcraft and called forth Lauren. The candle flickered for a moment scattering Felden's shadow behind him on the wall. Far above him, the wind coursed through the mangrove branches and sounded as if the lake itself had built a great wave to swallow the village. Everything grew quiet. There was a sound of footsteps outside. They moved slowly and plottingly, the thick mud pulling at the heavy feet as the sound approached. It was the sound of a figure staggering and sloshing through the muck. For a moment, Felden's heart leaped. Had he succeeded? Something heavy and wet thumped against the door, sounding like a bag of wet earth. Slowly, Felden pulled himself to his feet. He had no longer had his cane and shuffled to the door. The door gave another sloshing thud, then another, as Felden reached it and grasped a nod. The stench hit him. It was moldering, heavy smell of rotting flesh and damp earth. It was the smell of death. Felden's heart sank as he realized what he had done with the master of the swamp spell. There was another thump and the door shifted. But Felden was leaning against it now, seeking now to keep up whatever was on the far side. He did not want to see if the spell had succeeded. He did not want to know. There was another thud and a gurgling cry that sounded like sloshing water. Felden's heart sh shuddered as he reached inside himself and willed the spell to end, to send whatever was behind the door back to wherever it had come. The smell of death was gone, and with it the sounds. Felden stayed pressed against the door, holding it shut with all his might until morning. When morning came, he slowly opened the door. There was no footprints in the muck outside the door. Indeed, the entire village had been abandoned. There was no hollow-eyed guards, no master of the swamp, Nothing called his name in a gurgling voice like sloshing water. Felden staggered to his wagon, pausing only to use a piece of black driftwood as a makeshift walking stick. He did not look back. In time, as he traveled, the ground began to rise and dry. He had serpent-gavigated the lake now, and all that was left to him was to return home. He dreaded that, for fear of what he would find in the garden. It was three days from his village when he heard the of a scholar in a small town further west. Propelled in part by curiosity, in part by dread, Felden turned his wagon westward. 
He found the scholar in a musty remains of a temple library. The building had been shattered long ago by an earthquake, and the snows and rain had rotted most of the books. Yet, among the tattered remains of books and scrolls, the scholar hopped like a bird-shaped ton palm. He was a spindly thing and regarded Felden from behind thick lenses of crystal. Felden spoke of his tale and of his loss, of his was of his resolve to regain what he had lost. He told of the hermit, the sorceress, and the master of the swamp. When he finished his story, the scholar blinked at him through heavy lenses. What do you want? he sighed at last. Felden let out an exaggerated sigh. I want to have Lauren back. If magic can do everything, why can't it not do this? Of course it can do this, said the scholar. The question is, do you want it to? Now it was Felden's turn to blink, and the scholar gave him a thin, amused smile. Green calls to the living, he said. Black calls to the dead. Blue creates a shadow of life. Red consumes. And that's very important as well, because you often must destroy before you can build. I study, and the magic I wield is white which is the magic of comprehension and understanding. Can you bring her back to life? asked Felden, his voice catching. The memory of the swamp was still with him. No, I can't, said the scholar. And despite himself, Felden sighed belief. But I can help you to create an exact duplicate. I tried that with a tauntaun, said Felden. I speak of a creation not of gears and wires, but of magic, replied the scholar. Identical in every way. I don't understand, said Felden. When you cast a spell using spire, fire, explained the scholar, I believe you do not create fire. Rather, you take the magical energy and form it into the shape of fire, which then does your bidding. It is for all intents and purposes fire, but it is made of magic. But what about when I use fire, asked Felden, or when the hermit calls a great worm? The scholar waved his hand. Different uses for the same tools. Yes, in those cases it is real fire and a real worm, but the magic alters it for the moment. Assume that you create something made of magical energy. Feld thought about it and nodded slowly. So if you study an object, you can create the object over time, said the scholar. Again, Feld nodded. If you study me, he said, you'd be studying that which makes me a scholar. Therefore, you could call later time that part of me which is scholarliness and rely on its advice. Feld shook a head. I'm not sure I understand. Study me for two weeks, said the scholar, and see if you understand. Don't talk to me. Just bring me my meals. Two weeks. That's my price. That, and later you have to let me and the other scholars into your library. It, is it a bargain? For the next two weeks, Felden brought the scholars meals, in much the same way he had brought Lauren hers when she was bedridden. Felden used his magic to keep a small flame going and to cook for the scholar as he pawed through the rotting text and decaying scrolls of the ruined temple. For the first two days, the scholar seemed little more than an amusing bird, hopping from one location to another. But soon, fellow noticed there was a method in the madness, that there was intent behind each of the scholar's movement. He began to see how the man thought, and knew, through it all. The scholar ignored him, save at mealtimes. At the end of the two weeks, the little man turned to Felden and said, Summon me. Felden shook his head. Pardon, he said. You had watched me for two weeks, said scholars. Now see if you can turn your magic to bring me into being. Felden blinks. But you're already here. 
So bring another me, said the scholar. You've got the power. Use it. Felden took a deep breath and called upon the power of the land. He thought of the nervous scholar and his thick spectacles, rummaging relentlessly through the decaying paper and rotting volume. He tried to call a being that summed up the nature of the creature in one place. There is a pause, thus an identical duplicate of the scholar appear. No doubt identical. It was taller, and his flesh had a ruddier hue. But it was thin and nervous, had the thick spectacles and a knowing matter. The scholar, the real one, walked up to the crane being and looked over his glasses at it. The clue duplicate did the same. Felden was amazed. Is it real? He choked out at last. The scholar reached out and touched the quasi-duplicate, and the quasi-duplicate touched back. Feels like it, said the scholar. A lot of the little details are wrong, but you aren't just summoning me. You're summoning the essence of me-ness as a scholar. You can keep this around by keeping that part of your mind aware of me, but it isn't me, that is. Felden worked his way around the scholar's thinking process. But what can I do with this you? What would you expect a scholar to do between the respectful man of research, investigate, know certain things? In a slightly more voiced voice, he added, but I wouldn't know anything about fighting our lands I'd never visited or anything like that. It would be beyond my nature as a scholar. And I could do the same with Lauren, asked Felden. Both scholars nodded. Felden found the duplication unnerving and dismissed the part of the spell that held the magical scholar in place. He faded from view like snow in the rain. You could summon your lost love back, said the scholar, if that's what you truly want. Felden thought about the scholar's words on the way back to his home. The wagon shuttled through the deep ruts of the road. It was raining again by the time it turned. The servants had kindled a fire in the hearth. Before he entered the house, he checked Lauren's grave. Beneath the inert, rusting form of the tauntaun, the earth was undisturbed, and he, that made him feel slightly better. He thanked the servants and returned to his workshop. There, upon the tables draped with cloth and reagents, settled into multicolored layers into their beakers. He allowed himself to remember. He remembered Lauren, not just the feel of her touch or the way her hair moved like the dark waterfall. He remembered her when she was happy, when she was angry. When she was gardening, when she was dying, Felden thought of Laurent and the life she spent with him, the tales of her youth and her work and lives together, the joy of his life with her and the sadness of her departure, feeling like a great bubble rising without him. He fed his memories of the land into that bubble, memories of the mountains, the forest and the shores, the swamp and the temple. He filled it with power and life. When Felden opened his eyes, Lauren was there. She was perfect and had whole, as young as she was when they first met Teresa's city. She gave him a knowing smile and said, Why am I here? You died, said Felden, his voice choking as he spoke. She nodded and said, I seem to remember that. Why am I here? You're here because I missed you, said Felden. I missed you and well, replied the spell Lauren, and she reached out to him. Despite himself, Felden shrank from her embrace. She paused and said, What's wrong? You're not her, he said at last. No, I'm not, she said in her voice. In the Lilton Argivian accent, he remembered. <coughs> we both know that. I knew, though, that I could be nothing less than you remember of her. You remember her as of being honest and strong. I am the sum of her, taken through your feelings. I am what you remember. You are memories, sighed Felden. And though you are pleasant memories, I must leave you as memories. If you are here, 
You're more than the Tonbon in the garden. Unliving. An imitation of what she was. I'm sorry. I went to much trouble to bring you about, but I know I can't keep you. Then why am I here, she said. You are here, said Felden, taking a deep breath, so I can say goodbye. The spell lord paused and smiled slightly. I understand, she said at last. Felden crossed to her and embraced her. She felt very much like the Lauren she had, he had known. All that was Lauren in his memories was encased in a spell cage he had created. When they parted, there were tears in both their eyes. Goodbye, he said, his voice thick with emotion. Goodbye, she replied. Felton allowed the spell to elapse, and the form of Lauren began to dissolve. I understand, he said to her vanishing form. At least, at last, I think I understand. All that was left was a knowing smile. Then that was gone as well. Felden returned to the work in his library and the workshop, taking up small matters that had been abandoned ages ago. In a few weeks, a scholar appeared at Felden's doorstep and amused to see that, save for the servants, Felden was alone. After a meal, the bird-like scholar asked, What became of your lost love? She was lost, said Felden with a deep sigh, and it was beyond my power to bring her back. It was beyond my desire, but I had a chance to say goodbye. That is what you truly wanted as a scholar? That is what I truly wanted, said Feldon. The scholar spent three weeks in Feldon libraries and then left. He promised to send interested students to the grizzard man's home. Every so often, a would-be scholar or major would appear, and Feldon remembered his promise and would let the wizard go to the library. Over dinner, he would tell his own story of what he had learned about magic. Sometimes the aspiring mage would listen politely, sometimes intently. Occasionally, after everyone had gone to bed, a mage would creep down and find Selden sitting by the fire. The flames twisted into a form of a smile, a soft, knowing smile, and Felden, the ancient wizard, seemed to be content. So that was our last story in the Color of Magic anthology, The Golden Border, Loren Smile, by Jeff Grubb. Thanks for listening, and next time we'll start a novel, Planeswalker.